On Sunday nights, we were talking about God's grace. And uh, as we begin tonight's topic, I wanted to ask a, a question of you, the audience, and this will be fairly simple, hopefully. Uh, I want to ask you, by a show of hands, to show me how many of you were raised in the church? Okay, that was pretty close to my guesstimation. Uh, how many of you were not raised going to church or in the church? Okay, it's kind of what I figure. Maybe about eighty twenty, eighty five fifteen, somewhere in there. For those of you listening, um, I fall into the latter category of this. Uh, a kid who grew up whose parents didn't take him to church. It was not a part of our routine. It was not a part of our world. They did not see, I love my mom and dad, but they did not see church as necessary or beneficial. And and that's important to remember because uh, we have a lot of families that do see that as important and beneficial. I am now, as a dad... Uh, and as a husband, that's important to me. That's something that I do see for my family. It's important and beneficial. Uh, the question is, why? Why are there many? Uh, and tonight's uh, statistics are probably turned on its head of what it's like in the world. The other, uh, I think it was uh, one or two Sundays ago, Tyler and I were driving to uh, here to church, and sometimes he'll come with me early and, and do some things while I'm practicing. And as we were driving along, the highways are noticeably empty. You've observed this too, no doubt, on Sunday morning. Uh, that if you were going the same direction Monday through Saturday at the same time, uh, there's much heavier traffic. Why? Because people are going to work and to school and, and all of that. And I was thinking about that as I've thought about it before, but there's my 13-year-old son next to me, and I say to him, Tyler, it's my hope that someday you are one of the cars out on Sunday morning, that you're one of the ones, as he grows into a man and, and maybe gets married someday and leads his own family, that he participates in this thing we call church. But it's interesting when you think about what it is that separates those who do and those who do not. And what gets scary is the statistics and some of the real-life statistics and people here in the pews of people who have raised their children with saying that church is beneficial and necessary and important and all that. And these kids grow up in the church and promptly leave it. And is there anything we can do about that? Is there anything we can use to affect uh, change in that area? Well, the sermon will not be directed toward that problem tonight, but we are going to talk about church and why I believe it's one of God's greatest measures of grace. And, and I'm giving you this now, my perspective on the church as a blessing growing up now as a kid who didn't have it who didn't see how, you know, who wasn't regularly involved with it until I was about 12. It, it became a part of my life, but it didn't start out at that, at, at that level. There are probably, when I think of this church family, 
we've had some ex- extreme situations here in the last couple of months. Um, a couple of those families I'm thinking of, I'm not going to name, but you probably know as I describe, are, are families who have lost children. Very, very tragic thing. I mean, no parent wants to imagine going to their own child's funeral. One set of parents was older. They had a child, a son who was older, but he died unexpectedly. And one was a, a younger set of parents, uh, younger than me, and they had a young child who also died unexpectedly. In, in both of those two scenarios, which played out actually very, same, very close to one another in time, I observed what I, you observe in situations like that, grief, shock, uh, just the inability to put into words anything adequate that would, that would give consolation to those in such a situation. Uh, everyone trying to give comfort, but no one really knowing exactly the best way to do that. As I watch these two scenarios of these two families at these two different ends of the spectrum play out, I watched the church work. Uh, I mean, it was the prayer chain, many of you praying for those people in their situations, lifting those up before the throne room of God. Some of you bringing food and, and, and just being present for those families, certainly being a part of the, the memorial services, both of which were here, uh, giving aid to the family, comfort to the family, the flowers and singers and, and people that are doing what I think, and I'm getting to this, is what the church is all about. Why I tell that story of those two families is because both of them, unprompted by me, but in sort of the one or two days after the memorial, when we would talk and just kind of check in on them, both of them, unprompted, said, I do not know what people do who do not have the church. These are very different families, you understand, very different stages of life, uh, different stories, but a part of the body here at Northside, and they both reach the same conclusion. I think that is telling, because that's not the first time, and I'm sure it's not the last time that I will hear such a conclusion. We understand that, I think. In the world... We're growing a larger group of people who do not understand that. Statistically speaking, they're called the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Meaning they have, if you ask them on a survey, what's your religious affiliation? What, what do you identify as spiritually? They will say, not Christian, not Jew, not anything, any of the, the, the lists there. They, all the way at the bottom, it's none of these. None. None. I don't go anywhere. I don't worship anything. I, I uh, am not part of any of it. Now, we could understand that if they, didn't, if they kind of grew up like me, where I didn't have that. We'd understand that. It would make sense. But what doesn't make sense is an increasing number of people who grew up, in some cases, in these pews would identify in that group. Why, why is that? Well, I think part of it is they don't fully understand the value. You'll hear meaningless cliches for people in that category to define themselves. Well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, which is about the most useless thing I've ever heard uttered. It means nothing. 
It means the highest point in my world is me. And sometimes I like to gaze at my own navel. And that's about it. You'll, you'll hear things uh, pointing to kind of this generation. Because this is a popular one. I love Jesus. But not so much the church. So we're going to talk about that. Th- these people, these, these cliché-isms, these way of saying, I really am beyond church. Man, that was something my, my parents did. That was something my grandparents did. But it's just not for me. Tonight is part of studying how God has poured out his grace upon us. I really want to focus on the church. Because I think it's one of the most, even, even from the pulpit, one of the most oft-overlooked blessings. And part of it is how we think of it. What is church? When, when we... When we Say the word church, I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. You see, since Constantine, the church has been defined by a location. Usually, that location has a pretty massive structure on it. But that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't the totality of what church meant. But, but since Christianity began to be recognized more and more officially, and, and certainly as it was adopted by the Roman government, it became the official religion, it became associated with a with a, a building and a place. And I think that's where we lost our way a little bit. The Bible describes it not as a place, but a people. Not as a someplace you go, but a, a something of who you are as a person, but also who you are, and I use you collectively. Let's turn to the biblical description of this. This will be our key text tonight, Acts chapter 2. 42 and following. The biblical word for church, this translated church in the English, is ecclesia. It was a community. It was an assembled group. It was people who were assembled together. And it didn't always have to mean a religious purpose, but that was what ecclesia meant. And so those followers of Christ who assembled together, sometimes in the temple courts, sometimes in a home within the city, were began to be known as ecclesia, the church, those who are called out. Acts chapter 2, 42, I hope you're there. Luke describes them this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to those, to their number daily, those who were being saved. So, so the, the church gathered, this is Luke's description of it, and notice it doesn't describe a building as, as a, obviously in the temple courts, but it doesn't describe the facility in which they met, because they met in different places. 
uh, temple courts, homes, they were together. That was the, the point of it. And in, in short, when you think about the, this, the answer to the question, what is church? Uh, the simple answer is this. You are the church. The simple answer is you are the church. Uh, church is made up of people. And so this is church gathering the called out of those meeting here. Uh, just an hour ago, I was meeting with a small group of families in our homes, all Christians, meeting together, uh, enjoying fellowship, praying, studying the apostles' teaching. Uh, that was church there. That, that's a form of church. Sometimes we gather here, sometimes we gather elsewhere, but where we gather is not as important as the fact that we gather. There was a purpose in that. Um, We think about this. uh, We go to the well-known Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. A verse that has been abused in times past but, but I think if we focus on it, remember, uh, there was a purpose in what the writer was saying. He says, he's calling the, the readers to continue, those uh, who have converted from Judaism, who have experienced significant loss, in some cases persecution. And the writer's saying, this is a better way, but you've got to stay with it. And in verse uh, 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying, you know, as part of... Persevering as part of being on the journey with Christ, you have people that are walking with you that will make you better. And it is to your advantage to meet together with them as often as possible. Yesterday, we participated in church. The gathering of the church, I mean, we delivered some holiday baskets. Yesterday was, uh, or uh, Friday evening was a group that met at the Hellers and the Neislers, and they participated in church. They were gathering together. There, there, there are so many examples of when we gather together, but may we not forget that there's, I think, two, I'm sorry, three let us phrases. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us consider how we may spur one another on, and let us not give up meeting together. It's a, this is this assumed thing that we are all in this together, and that as we gather together, there's a purpose in that. It's, it's not just sort of we sort of legalistically check off. Okay, I got to go today twice. Got to get those done and get those out of the way. It, if that's the mindset. You're, you kind of missed what the point is, what the writer of Hebrews says, that we gather to encourage. The word meaning literally to give courage, to, to, to keep going and, and to keep encouraging one another in faith. 
again, come back to uh, youth group days. Um, you know, there's a there's something that it's just hard to put into words the experience if you've if you've been in going on a mountain once a year in Colorado and being together for a week. And, and, and you know, teen camp was always the most highly attended thing of the year. But it, it wasn't hard. I didn't have to twist arms to get people to go. I'm sure Jim found, find, finds the same, same thing. It, it, people want to go. Well, why is that? Because there's something about being together. There's something about the church, the people, his people called out being together for a fixed amount of time, 24 hours a day for seven days. It is powerful. You really see some amazing life change there. People desire that. And I think one of the reasons is not just being together, but being together to encourage one another. Now, that takes different forms. Sometimes you hear lessons and devotionals. They're really going to nail you between the eyes. I mean, they're going to call you out on some of the stuff that you're doing. Sometimes it's sin that needs to be addressed. Sometimes it's someone who's carrying a struggle that they haven't shared with anyone. And they open that up. Uh, there, there's just this encouragement that comes in a gathering like that. And that's, that's a really cool thing. And if you didn't know it, that's a really special blessing. Uh, not, not many youth groups have that. It's important. Family camp is the same way. We gather together. I, I realize it's hard and you know, holiday weekend, and sometimes we're not always able to make every single one. But... but I'm always encouraged leaving Rock Springs. Of course, I'm always sleep deprived too, but it's a it's a good deprivation because we spent that time encouraging one another, and that's the purpose. So the church gathers worldwide. You know, it could be places like Minnesota and Mexico and Argentina and Scotland. It could be here in Wichita, North North Side and East Point, West Link and Riverwalk and other congregations. It could be even here within Northside, places like classes and small groups and ministries and youth groups and, uh, you know, Alive and Focus and Bible Boomers and all of that. They, 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 they meet together for the purpose of encouraging one another. It's not just about you. It's about encouraging one another together. What church is, that's kind of interesting, and we can think of lots of examples of it, and, and we understand the purpose, I hope. But... What matters is why church. Why is church important? There's lots of clubs. There's lots of opportunities to meet together with other people. That's not a new thing at all. You could join Kiwanis or the local Optimist Club or a speaking club. There's opportunities to meet with other people. What makes the church unique is what we're going to talk about next. Why church is important? Because it matters to Jesus. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Just hold your place right there and we'll get to it. Um, when you think of Jesus and the church, we need to understand that these two are not you cannot disconnect these two things. So 
Uh, when you hear someone say, I love Jesus, but not the church, that's a fallacy. It, it, it's impossible. You cannot love Jesus and not love the church. Why? Because the church is who Jesus loves. So if you love Jesus, but not the church, you're really saying, Jesus, I like you, but I don't really think you have great taste in the people you've called. You understand that Jesus bought and paid for the church with his own blood. He's the head of it. Okay, so when you hear someone say, ah, I love Jesus, but not the church, all they're really saying is it's a sort of a Christianized way of saying, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. In other words, ah, you know, I just kind of like myself, and I'm not really, you know, Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites, and they don't, they don't, they're not always like me, and, and sometimes they hurt my feelings, and sometimes they offend me with things, and, okay, you can, you can get into all of that you want, but you're missing the point. If you, Try to think you can have Jesus but not the church. You've bought into a fallacy that is certainly unbiblical. Um, How important is it to Jesus? He said, I will build my church. And there's two pictures, and I've got them on the screen for you. The first is the, the church is the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And the second picture is the bride of Christ, the beloved of Christ. He's the husband. We as the church are the bride. We understand that Jesus is the head, not the pope, not bishops, not elders, not preachers, not pastors. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay? So we can't have church without him. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. I know you're in Ephesians 1. I'm just going to read Colossians chapter 1 for you. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, this is important to understand because not every church, I mean, every church has probably claimed Jesus as the head, but in practice, they put other people in charge of the church. There are some churches where a guy like me is the pastor, the senior pastor, and he's sort of at the top of the org chart. He makes all the decisions. Well, that's not biblical. That's not in the scriptures. And Jesus is the head there are some churches that think, well, we, we, have, a, we have a group, a board, a, a, a governing body of some type. And they make all the decisions. And they kind of pass things down and they tell the churches what to do. Well, that's not biblical either. The, the church, he's the head. Jesus is the head. And, and so we, we do it like he wants it done. And he puts elders, shepherds in charge of the, the local body. And we have deacons and people who do some of the various functions of the body, but the church works together and it should be put together like Jesus wants it to be put together. You may hear the phrase, well, my church is, where do you go to church? Where's your church? Oh, my church, at my church, we went and did that. And your church went and did that. But it's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church, his body. You see, now it may seem like just language and, and, and just intricacies there, but it, it's so important to understand that it's not doesn't belong to me. You may think, well, you're the preaching guy. You're the, you're the head. You're in charge. No, I'm not in charge. You may look at the elders and go, well, you guys are in charge. You make the decision. No, it's not, it's not, it's not theirs either. They're stewards of it. They're, they're supposed to, to take care of it as shepherds would do, but, but it doesn't belong to them. So, the first is that he's the head and we're the body. Now we're at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, if you're still there. And following, 
God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay. Again, if you love Jesus but hate the church, what you really do is hate Jesus. Because Jesus is the head of the church. He built it. He bought it. He paid for it. It's his. Um, the head loves and cares for and cherishes and nourishes the body. Now, I want to go to a section of Scripture that we usually think of in relation to marriage. But really, that's not what it's about. Turn to four chapters later to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And um, I'm just going to read starting verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. You catching this now? It's so easy to get thinking about husbands and wives and get lost and all that, but I really want you to focus on Christ and the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. What, two becoming one? No. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul makes a beautiful, powerful comparison of what a marriage was intended to be in God's mind and the relationship between the church and Christ himself. Christ is the Savior. He gave himself up for her. His desire is to make her holy and pure. Uh, She bears his name. The church, that's what I love about churches of Christ. This is biblical, but it's also profound. She is not perfect, but she is his. Jesus adores and loves and wants to make perfect his imperfect bride. Everything he did, he did for his bride. So, so if you're, if you're going to talk about loving Jesus, it's very important that you love the one whom Jesus loves. And that's his church, his bride. I mean, you may not believe this, but some people are not big fans of Toby Levering. I know. I'm as shocked as you are. There are even people within the church who just like every opportunity, they jab, criticize, you know. I've kind of learned that's not everybody. That's a minority of people. But but they're there, you know, okay. I get that they're not Toby fans. 
But, but I dare you, just one single time, to attack my wife. And I will bring you to the Lord Jesus. Okay? And, and, and you may go to that, the end of that tunnel, but, but I may drag you back a few times before you get there. Do you understand? I'm being a little bit facetious, but I want you to understand. She's my bride. I love her. I cherish her. My goal is to, for both of us, to work to, to get to heaven together. We're in this together. And that's very important. And there are people out there, good Christian people, who are really into wife beating. Oh, they just sit back and mock the church. They, they just make fun of it. They just point out every flaw within her. Oh, I bet that makes, I bet that infuriates Jesus. You gotta be careful about insulting or mocking or pointing out every single flaw of the bride of Christ. The husband is aware of the imperfections. But it's not your job to point them out, to criticize. And I just think, that, okay, so, so when we talk about those things, the bride and the body, both of these two images should give us this clear, completely clear message that the church matters to Jesus. It's his body. It's his bride. Can you, are there any two more important things? The church matters to Jesus and because the church matters to Jesus, that the next point is the church should matter to Jesus' followers. Acts chapter 2, we, we read it already, but it, it described all the things happening within this group. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to truth. You understand that, that being a part of the church I can't even tell, I'm not even sure I can adequately convey to you, to a crowd of 85% of people who've grown up in the church, how important and powerful it is to be a group that's devoted to the truth. We take that for granted that we come together in Bible class, we hear sermons preached, we hear lessons given that are, are, are in Northside based within the Word. Do you understand? We, we spend so much time looking at the compass to make sure that we are rightly aligned, that we are headed in the right direction. Now, now if you've come to Northside a lot and you're here twice a day on Sunday and you're here most Sundays, oh, man, that's, that's something you just assume happens everywhere. That does not and it certainly doesn't happen within the world. The world doesn't know its left hand from its right. But when you're a part of the church, you're, you're part of a people that are devoted to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I used to, I used to wonder, I used to think, man, if I want to preach for 30 or 40 years, and I have to think of creative ways to say things, and, and, and that's still part of it, but... and, and to find a new way of saying the same truth. But, but in, increasingly in today's world, I'm convinced that if we just simply tell the truth, that itself is so profound. 
If we as Christians in the church learn to love the truth and study the truth and obey the truth and live by the truth and walk by the truth, there's something so beautiful that we get within the church that we're devoted to the truth. The second is this relational connection, this fellowship with one another, these, these people that you're walking with that, that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with and, and we get to learn from one another. We get, we get a shared meal. And yes, that's, that's this moment right here. But I share so many meals with other Christians that are not just around this table. I'm not, I'm not saying this table is not important. Don't misunderstand. But there's something powerful happening when you go to the multipurpose room and you share across a table with another Christian. There's a connection being built. Or whether you go here in this building or someone else's home or the youth group goes on their um, progressive Christmas dinner and they spend that time together, that's important. We're sharing food, but we're also sharing fellowship. That matters. They were devoted to praying. They prayed with each other. They prayed for each other. They were devoted to mutual sharing. Freely giving to each other, selling and giving and, and, oh man, that is, especially in the last six weeks, I've seen that firsthand and you have too, how a church can be so generous and, and not just about what goes in the plate and what goes to missionaries and what goes to know your Bible, but what goes to people in need, what goes to people that are just hurting people that are in the community. That's the way Christians are to be. And we're devoted to worship. We sing, we praise. I'll never forget the Easter Sunday when we didn't have power, but it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever been a part of. And I think, man, it's just simple, pure worship from the heart, from the voice of God. And we didn't need a, a whole lot of stuff, smoke machines and lasers and all sorts of complicated things. We just needed the simple worship of our Creator. Everything that God gave us, we were able to worship Him with. All these things happen when the church gathers. We're better together. Why am I... Am I I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here on Sunday night. You're probably thinking that too. You're like, man, he's really talking a lot about the church. I'm here the second time, okay? All right? I I believe it. You don't have to convince me. But maybe I do. Because I think sometimes we just take for granted. Familiarity so often breeds contempt. And and I I know we're focusing on family ministry. I know we're focusing on intergenerational things, and I do believe that's important. I think the family is the first priority. But there are people, there are people whose parents will not take them to church. There are kids, like I was a kid, who didn't go to church because his parents took him. He was part of a church. Sorry. He was part of a church. Because he saw something very, very unusual and atypical. 
And so if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church, when you're baptized, you're in the church, you should not shy away from saying, yes, I am a part of the church. I love Jesus and the church because Jesus loves the church. You should be seeking as often as possible to bring people into the church because there's so many people who don't know a group of people who are devoted to the truth and who are devoted to prayer and who care when you're gone and who care when you're there. There are so many people who don't have that. And God God gave us the church where you realize that he didn't have to do that. He could have pulled us out of baptism and just just, just immediately taken us to heaven. But he put us on this journey with all of these people for a reason. And there's a world that doesn't have that. And boy, we do. And I just don't want us to miss the point, the opportunity that we should share every opportunity. And may we show that it matters to us. I'm here because an elderly couple took me to church to be a part of a group Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know, this was when I was 13 years old. I couldn't drive. They did that so faithfully. Why? Because Jesus mattered to them and the church mattered to them. And they knew if they'd get that kid to that group of people, that God would transform his life. And I, I don't say that to make me the hero of the story. I've seen that happen in so many people's lives. May we just not forget it. I think the reason for the church, in addition to our understanding the value of it, is understanding that all the way back in the beginning, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. There's something wired within you that you're, you need other people. And sometimes I think in Christianity we can buy into the lie, well, I can kind of do this by myself. I got it. I know the Bible. You know, I can, I can handle it. But you might be able to do the things the church does alone. But what would that look like? Imagine trying to learn the truth only from yourself. You're going to be pretty immature and pretty shallow as a person. There are people that you can learn from within the church. Um, Tyler takes Taekwondo. And this yesterday he took a belt test. So the practice before the belt test. He's in a class, by the way, with all black belts. <laughs> he's the only uh, green belt. or I forget the colors. <laughs> anyway, he's the, only, he's the low man on the totem pole. Everybody else is all at the top level. And so they're... Preparing him for the test, and they do this weird thing where they all get in a circle, and he's in the middle, which in most of the Chuck Norris movies I've seen is a bad sign. But <laughs> I was watching this. It was so cool because here is this uh, blue belt, and he's, he's trying to learn to get to the next level, and he's surrounded by black belts. And he's doing his forms and he's doing, you know, all the things. And, they're, they're, and as he does them, from every vantage point in the circle, he's receiving correction. Not in a harsh way. They don't want him to quit. But they're saying, okay, well, you've got you to do it this way because you're, you're not prepared to go into this stand. You know, they're, they're talking all the lingo. And it just hit me in that moment. I was like, that, that's what the church does. I've been surrounded by spiritual black belts my whole life. And sometimes they tell me things that I don't really want to hear, but they tell me those things so that I'll get to be a point where I'm a spiritual black belt, and then I'm 
training some blue belts and some green belts. There's, some, there's a purpose in that. Things like prayer pals and, and all the intergenerational stuff. That, that matters. I just want you to get this picture of people working with and helping other people. And that's what happens within the church. Could you do that by yourself? What hubris to think you could. What arrogance to think that you're smart enough to do it without needing anyone else. I've learned so many lessons from people in the church. Um, and we can do that too. Can you fellowship with yourself? I mean, really? Cooking for one? How fun is that? I mean, you need relationship. When, when you think about a table, the Lord's Supper... Just think about your own table at home and how you, the conversations you have across the table and the building and the learning and the stories that are told. In the, all that happens around a table. I don't think it was by accident that Jesus established a meal as the centerpiece of his people because he wanted us to, to learn around the table together. Can you give to yourself? Can you just, I mean, I guess lots of people practice that in theory, but. Do you ever learn the joy of giving and gratitude and graciousness outside of yourself? Can you, can you praise God by yourself? Yeah, you can. But there is something about hearing other people's voices harmonize with yours. And that can't happen. I mean, you can worship God by yourself, but you, you hear other voices and the harmony of God's people. So then, let's, let's give you the takeaway here. May we connect to the body. May you understand you're a part of the body and I'm a part of the body. And not just be okay with just being in the body ourselves. But grow and build and encourage and connect. And also, remember there are people that are not in the body that sure would be a great part of the body. Might be your coworker. Might be your neighbor, might be a member of your own family. May you not forget that the body is a ever-growing body, and it's designed to be always reaching out. I, I'm, I know I went long tonight, and I appreciate your graciousness, but I, I get really worked up about the church because it's been a big part of my life, and I, I think it will continue to be, and I, I never stop getting excited about how much grace God pours out through his church. So may we learn to love her and cherish her, and may we value her for the beauty that she truly is. Tonight, if you are not a part of the church, you can be a part of that body. It takes simple obedience to trust Jesus and obey Jesus, to believe and to be immersed and to begin that part. And and you're going to be a spiritual white belt for a while, but... You'll be a part of a body that will love you well and that will help you grow into who Jesus wants you to be. One of his greatest measures of grace is his body. If you're not a part of his body, if you're not under the head, you need to do that. Because there's no way to be prepared for eternity but through being in Jesus. If you need to be in Jesus tonight, if you're not part of his body, or maybe you've grown lethargic in your part of the body. And that needs to change. It can begin tonight. If you have a need, please come forward. I'll be happy to help in any way as together we stand and sing.